No judgment, just raw and unfiltered answers. Starting now on the He Said What show with your host, Simply Bree. joining you have tuned into he said what with your girl simply green and i am excited i am excited to be back again another tuesday with you wonderful people and um especially to have my guest my guest he did such an amazing job before that i was like he has to come back because we have more questions so before we get into who the guest is I'm sure you guys are wondering, what is He Said What all about? Well, He Said What is a platform for my men to come on, and they're going to answer some questions, some tough questions that we have in regards to why men may do certain things or why they may act certain ways um, or why won't they talk to us about life or their emotions or, you know, the way that they feel, you know, the things that women really think. So this is a raw and rugged platform. Um, They understand that there is no bro code, even though there's still probably going to be some type of bro code. But, you know, ladies, I'm going to get as many answers out of the guests as possible. So if you are playing this episode back, I appreciate you showing your support, and I hope that what is said resonates with you and it helps you get through whatever life is throwing your way, okay? Now, all you have to do to continue to support the network is find us on YouTube, subscribe to our channel, He Said What Network. That's all you have to do. The shows will be moving to visual only very soon, so you want to make sure that you are following us on YouTube. Also, follow us on Instagram by visiting He Said What Network. That's He Said What Network. At 9.05 p.m. tonight, and that's Eastern Time, the After After Show will take place with myself as well as my co-host, Betty, where we will be talking about dating during COVID. So you don't want to miss that. Now, the topic for tonight, coping with PTSD and depression. So our guest that's joining us is the one and only Jeffrey. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a lot for having me back. Yes, you are so welcome. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention, too. For those who are listening live, if you have questions or you want to chime in on something that was said, uh, all you have to do is call in. The number is 515 602 
and you're going to press the number one. That way we know you have something to say, and we will bring you up live. So with that being said, we're talking about PTSD and depression. Like, these are two serious, serious situations here. Um, field of, of practice, um, because you do deal with mental health as well. How many people, uh, if you had to guess it off or put a percentage to it, how many of your clients come in and you recognize whether it's PTSD or some form of depression right off the bat? Oh, man. Um, I would say I would say between 50 and 65% are dealing with some type of PTSD. Um, now, he, here is what I want to draw a line of distinction between. Um, okay. Most of the clients that I see, they don't have it tied to service in the military, as an example. Uh, they don't have it mm-hmm. tied to um, severe trauma. That does not mean that they don't suffer from some type of PTSD, because whatever the trauma was, that's still something that they're grappling with and dealing with. So I just want to be clear, PTSD is not mm-hmm. always tied to, you know, someone being in the, in the field of battle. Uh, it could be someone who's dealing with um, childhood trauma, mm-hmm. uh, dealing with uh, trauma that happened as a result of sexual assault. Um, so I just want to be clear that it, it's, a, it's a pretty wide spectrum of items that could fall into PTSD. Right. Why do you think um, people typically relate PTSD to those who were either at, in battle or in a branch within the military? You know, that it's visible. You know, it's visible and it has something that people can see tangibly. So, for example, on the 4th of July, many veterans absolutely hate it because the fireworks going off, it triggers oh. them sleeping in a foxhole. And so there could be someone that you don't know uh, served in the military, and they hear those bombs going off that are firecrackers, but they hear bombs going off in their head, and they jump right back into that defensive posture. They're trying to protect themselves because the brain is working on trauma now and self-preservation. So they don't, they don't even know in some instances what they're doing. So people can people can understand that because they understand being in war. War is tough, and most people will empathize with that. When it comes to um, PTSD that's not related to war, people don't identify it, uh, with it as readily. And so that's the difference. Between. Right. Now, okay, identifying with PTSD, if I was someone who suffered from, let's say, uh, childhood trauma, um, how would I be able to associate certain symptoms, certain behaviors to that actual event? Okay. Very, very good question. So, you know, there, there are basically five types of signs to look for to see if you might be suffering through P, uh, PTSD. Here's the main thing. Sometimes as a child, when you suffer through, uh, as, uh, as a, just a blunt example, through sexual abuse, mm-hmm. what ends up happening is there could be 
a overcompensation sexually as an adult. And so you mm. may have a man that becomes a sex addict because he has unresolved issues with that sexual trauma. You may have a woman that um, acts out sexually in the same way. Now, that's not to say that you can't have people who have healthy sexual appetites. That is not what I'm saying. I'm saying when it's tied to a traumatic event, it actually becomes something that can be detrimental to the health of that man or that woman when they don't address the PTSD from that event. Mm, that's so deep. That that oh, so with that, it's like how how do you distinguish a, a healthy appetite for sex versus molestation as a child or rape as a child or just some type of fondling as a child? Because you know a lot of people live in denial, like oh, there's nothing wrong with me. Or they put it in the back of their head as if it never existed. And they feel like mm-hmm. they're living a healthy or normal life, but in actuality, they could be acting out from that event. When it, when it comes to sex, because it's so natural, and everybody got here because of sex, some type of sex, um, it's difficult to discern if, the person is acting out or they just have a high sex drive. Here is the thing that may occur to help you if it were you dating someone. Here's something that Mm -hmm. you may want to pay attention to. Are they driven in an unhealthy manner like it's a vice, like a compulsion Mm -hmm. that they can't control? Um, That's when you get into um, something that may be tied to trauma. Now, please understand, even in that event, that might just be a person with a high sex drive who's completely comfortable with their sexuality. It doesn't mean that every mm-hmm. person who is, is uh, homosexual or whatever experienced trauma, that doesn't mean that. It does mean, right. though, that when it becomes unhealthy, when they do things to jeopardize their livelihood, their family, their job, careers, that's when likely, well, that's when there's more of a chance that it could be tied to sexual trauma as a child. Wow. That's that's, that's definitely um, eye-opening because you have a lot of people who are masking um, childhood trauma. And I can understand it because it is, it's like nobody wants to really live what they've been through um, but by acting like it did not happen is doing probably the equal amount of damage, um, you know, as it is if you were to speak about it. So you have a lot of people who do not feel that they have to go seek help. At what point uh, when going through PTSD, regardless of what type of trauma it is, at what point should someone really start to, um, look for help outside of friends and family, but more so professionally. When, when it comes to this situation, because, and I'll speak specifically on sex, because sex mm-hmm. is so natural. Some people mm-hmm. don't see the problem because it's like, I, I like sex. 
what has mm-hmm. to happen is that person has to reach a point where they want to move and make a change. A lot of people call it the low point. When when they hit their mm-hmm. low, the lowest point right. for some people, it's um, you know, it's being caught with a prostitute. Mm-hmm. And that's the lowest point for them and then they make a change. They start working on themselves. There has to be something, some type of catalyst to want to change. It won't always be a low point. Sometimes it would just be, you know what, I'm going to do better. And then they start seeking out the help. That's the first thing. The second thing, it's really the, um, what do you call it, the forced admittance where somebody, the intervention where Mm -hmm. somebody says, hey, I'm taking you to see somebody. And what happens during an intervention is most people will fight it. Most people will be like, no, yeah. I don't want to be here, this, that, and the other. But there's something on the inside that will resonate and make the person curious. And more times than not, they will go through the process. They may not be successful the first time. Um, they may have to go back again because they relapsed or whatever the case is. As long as they keep going and working to get better, um, they will be able to cope with it. And coping is the key, not curing it, because, quite frankly, there will always be something to remind you of the trauma. It's just a matter of how you respond to the trauma after you've gone through um, counseling and professional um, care mental health services and things of that nature. The way you respond should change. Right. Okay. I I like that. Okay. So for those of you who are listening, um, you know, take take some notes. Take some notes. Even if you feel like you're not ready for those steps, at least have some type of plan. Make a plan. Now, Someone, let's say I'm a friend of someone who is going through some type of trauma. What can I do to help them, to support them, even when they're not ready to get help? What can I do as a friend? Okay, this is this is a delicate balancing act. You mentioned the word support. Support is very, very important. And supporting them is the key. Now, sometimes you could drop hints. Sometimes you can say, hey, I found this person that I've been working with. This is what she's done for me or he's done for me. Mm-hmm. You want to go talk to You want to go to a session with me? Because what you're doing is you're not pointing the finger at them. You're saying, hey, this helped me. Do you want to go with me? And it's a partnership right. now. Um, yeah. You have to be very, very careful of the backlash, and I, I call this the um, the embarrassed backlash, when mm-hmm. you would have a person that's in an abusive relationship and you mm-hmm. try to step in and that person snaps at you mm-hmm. for trying to help them because they're embarrassed. It's like, don't don't look down on me. I don't care what's happening in my relationship. You don't look down on me. And it's an mm-hmm. embarrassed backlash. But eventually, when that person gets to a point where they want to change, they will remember that you reached out if you do it the right right way, and then they will reach back to you. Right. 
How many how many of your clients, if you were to just come off with a percentage, how many of your clients would you say um, come in uh, for help, but it, they give off a lot of denial, like it, it doesn't happen or it didn't happen, and their partner is just, you know, their partner just wanted them to come in, but there's really nothing wrong with them. You know, very, very few. When when I work with uh, clients, my clientele is primarily men who want mm-hmm. to be better at being comfortable with who they are and their masculinity, mm-hmm. whatever form their masculinity, right. masculinity takes within them. Uh, and so they're coming looking for solutions. Now, when I have right. couples that I work for, that's when it gets contentious because then you got people that are fighting to be right in the beginning. They're not fighting right. to get to the root of the problem. <laughs> They're fighting to be right. And then once mm-hmm. we get beyond that right phase, we get to solutions for the relationship. And in that way, I would say most of the couples, I would say 75% of the couples come in disillusioned. Uh, the woman would be, no, he didn't do this, that, and the other. And the guy would be, I didn't do that because you don't do this. And it's blame, mm. point, blame, point, blame, point. Right. So the interesting thing, because I, I know, I just know from even just from having this show and, and speaking with men, the way that men cope with trauma, would you say um, is it different than the way a woman might cope with trauma? It is night and day, and here mm. is what I believe is the reason women grow up being told to communicate, express your feelings, get in touch with your, your, your heart and your mind and your soul, and let's network and let's have brunch. And, girl, let's empower each other. Let's do all these things. It's driven into women. Men mm-hmm. are told, go play basketball, football, hey, suck it up. Okay, you can express yourself, but you still got to suck it up. You got to be the man. Men aren't taught how to be able to decompress and let those things go in the same way that women are. And so when I start mm-hmm. to unpack with a man, what tends to happen is he will revert to the point where his emotional growth was stunted. If it, mm. if it was at 10, he goes back to being 10. 15, he goes back to being 15. And we start from there, and we allow that emotional growth to continue so he can grow up. With women, though, right. women have more of a capacity to express exactly how they feel, and then we can go backwards to what's causing them to feel that. Men, we got to kind of right. unpack it a different way. Okay. So while men are going through this unpacking, what is it that their lady can do to help be there for them during that process? Okay. Now, now you asked me this question, so I'm going to give it to you straight. I'm going to keep it a buck with you. Mm-hmm. Ladies, okay. are taught how to communi- ladies are taught how to communicate with each other but not how to uh, communicate with a man. So you will have a woman that wants to be heard, but she doesn't know how to listen. 
she will think that her solution is to give the man what she think what she thinks he wants, to give him what he she thinks he needs, and that's not mm-hmm. it. Mm-mm. Women have to give their man a space to feel comfortable in his vulnerability. And what mm-hmm. what I found in in speaking and surveying some of my clients who happen to be men, they will say that I told my wife this, and she threw it in my face. I, mm-hmm. I felt really sad one time, and I and and you know I was crying, and my wife didn't look at me the same. She thought I was soft. Because she saw me yeah. cry. And, and and the thing is, if a man can't unpack with his wife, the woman that he's in a committed relationship with, he will tune out of that relationship faster than anything else. He might still come mm-hmm. home. He might still take care of everything he's supposed to take care of. But he has checked out emotionally, and he's just mm-hmm. running on autopilot. Right. So, so women, women have, I, I, women have I, to be able to support I, I, his needs. Mm-hmm. I'm making notes. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I said I'm making notes. <laughs> I, I've heard that. Honestly, I've heard that time and time again um, on this show where men have said that it's a, it's almost like it's a trust issue because they feel like if they open up and they allow themselves to be vulnerable, it's going to be used against them. And sometimes, and ladies, I need you guys to listen to this too, sometimes men will test you just to see if you can hold water. And if it gets around or if it comes back to him, then he knows that he couldn't dare trust you with anything secret-wise, you know, or anything that he may have experienced in his childhood. And that's, that's really sad, but that's the honest truth. That's what I've heard from men time and time after, after, after you know, one another. So now let me ask you this. From a woman's standpoint, what can men do to be more supportive of a woman who is unpacking? Oh, so with, with us, what we have to do is we have to tap into making sure the environment is right for her to be able to let those things go. Now, this is what I mean. Mm-hmm. You can't have a woman who's working on unresolved issues with her father or absence of a father operating in an atmosphere that requires her to tap into her masculine energy. She's never mm-hmm. going to be able to let it go. She's worried about the lights being turned off because you're not paying the bills. Right. And she, she's worried about something that's going on with the children because you're not being emotionally supportive of the children. So the first thing is the man has to make sure that he's handling the business to allow her to develop in a fertile environment, to develop that emotional mm. side of her in a fertile environment. The second thing mm. is the man has to remember that it is not about him. If she starts to um, get really, really upset one day and he's done everything that he can do to help calm the situation and she's a little sensitive that day, don't take Mm -hmm. it personally. We'll be present, but give the space. You know, say, hey, you know, if you need me, I'll be right over here. You know, bring bring her some water, 
you know, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't encourage, you know, drinking of alcohol during that time. Okay. Because <laughs> you, you, you don't want the alcohol to be associated with the recovery. You want the recovery to be pure. So bring us some water right. to drink. And then say, hey, I'll, I'll be right over here if you need me. And, and allow her to be soft. Allowing her to be soft means that you have to do the heavy lifting that she's used mm. to doing on her own. Right. So that's that's what I would say as ways to for for men to help women when they're unpacking and moving out of that that phase of their relationship. Mm. Listen, let me give you your round of applause first. That right there oh, is very you. important, and you see, you hear it from both sides. You hear women say that men aren't stepping up to the plate and doing what they have to do in order for a woman to feel like a woman. And then you also hear men stating, oh, women got all of this masculine energy and they need to be feminine and soft and pink and all of this other stuff. So it's like we're all going at each other like like a war. We're approaching one another with this rage, and nobody's being heard. Like no one's listening. No one's really making any effective steps towards the solution. How do you feel – um, society plays a role in even just this failure of communication between men and women when it comes to trauma. Well, you know, society definitely accentuates the negative. Society will, mm-hmm. will put things out there that cause women to uh, go into their own tribe and point the finger at men, and the same thing happens with the men. Um, so the thing about the media is if you're not careful, you get sucked into this pattern. Uh, it's called doom scrolling, where you're scrolling mm. and you're looking at all this negative stuff on, online and on social media. You're looking at all this negative stuff. And what you see is what the algorithm tells you that you like. Mm-hmm. It'll keep showing you videos of men and women arguing. So you have to be careful, first of all, to pull back from the social media doom scrolling. The second thing mm. is you have to you have to recognize that when you say all women ain't this and all men ain't that, it really is a reflection of the type of person that you chose to get involved with. So, mm-hmm. men, if you got involved with a woman that took advantage of you, you allowed that because you got involved with her. Now, don't get it twisted. She didn't have to take advantage of you. That, that's on her. At the same time, though, you didn't have to deal with that. There was something in you mm-hmm. that felt like you deserved it. That's why it kept happening. And women, the same thing applies. If you got a man and that man, the first night, he wanted you to take all your clothes off and you took them off and he didn't force himself on you, you did so willingly, that was mm-hmm. a you decision. And if every man after that did the same thing, you kept leading with the cookie. Don't get mad at a man for eating mm-hmm. cookies if you put them on the table. <laughs> right. Oh, that's a really, that's a really good one right there. Ladies, I hope you all listening. Um, and if you are and you want to give any type of feedback or if you have questions for Jeffrey, the number is 515-602-9647, and you'll press the number 1, and we will bring you up and see what you got to say. Now, is PTSD hereditary? Trauma has been found 
to permeate DNA. And so some forms of trauma can be passed down generationally. Um, it can be mm-hmm. passed down through uh, the reoccurrence of similar events. And uh, the way that you are raised can help perpetuate some of the trauma from prior generations. Uh, so it, it can be passed down through heredity. Now, I am mm-hmm. a believer of this. I believe outside stimuli is responsible mm-hmm. for passing it down through heredity, not necessarily all internal. The outside stimuli mm-hmm. certainly has um, an impact, and here's why I say that. There was a group of children mm-hmm. in uh, Chicago, and they were in the public schools, and they weren't doing well in their district. Their district was underfunded. Mm-hmm. They call, started a uh, pilot program to take some of those kids to the more affluent side of town. Those mm-hmm. kids' grades immediately start to go up, immediately. And so mm-hmm. it was the environment, not the child, but the environment that wasn't conducive for their learning. The parents, the white parents, complained Mm -hmm. about these students being at their school, and they threatened to pull out. They they were going to move to another school district, which meant their taxes would go somewhere else, and that would hurt the district. And so they they canceled the program. That being said, that's what I mean by the outside stimuli uh, being something that can um, pass it down generation Mm -hmm. to generation. Mm, very nice. Okay. Well, what we're going to do, um, because we're definitely going to continue this question, this conversation, but I also want to tie in depression, um, the different levels of depression, different types of depression, and the, how the two of them have a, a role with one another. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick song break, and then we will return. You guys are tuned into He's Saying What? with your girl, Simply Bree, and our guest for the evening, Jeffrey, and we're talking about coping with PTSD. We will be right back, y'all. Delisa was eight years old, she was sexually abused, seduced by salacious on Sandra, it left her confused. The devil danced inside her mind, she ain't know how to feel. Her mind was shuffling like cars, she ain't know how to deal. At the family reunion, she would revisit vivid visions of the past, paint a picture clearer, praying, read some scriptures, folks ask what's wrong, she would lie and say it's nothing. When invariably, see very much, needed clarity and discussion. Wish the world cared about little girls more and stop slamming doors on issues that end up leaking tears on tissues. This is sentimental, screaming loud, feel the pain, since rebuke. But no matter what you do, demons keep creeping on mute.
to church. Delisa finally told her, Mom, what happened? She said, you imagining things. She walked away and was laughing. She couldn't believe her. Oh, mama couldn't believe. That broke her down on her knees. Ain't get the love that she needs. She felt betrayal in the seat like Judas left Jesus to bleed. She was acting different. Felt like she was distant. Multiplied by the distance. I just wish I would have listened. I, I saw melancholy melanin. A closet with a skeleton. Some evidence of some medicine. Thought her savior was a sedative. Wish the world cared about little girls more. And stopped slamming doors on issues that end up leaking tears on tissues. This is sentimental. Screaming loud. Feel the pain. Since rebuke. But no matter what you do. Demons keep creeping on mute. This one, Mike from Simply Sports, and you're tuned in to the He Said What Radio Network. Support of people of color begins with support by people of color. Introducing Melanin People. Melanin People is a new, innovative new social media platform people of color from all around the world. It's a place for us to interact, showcase our talents, express our passions, share our cultures, and do business, both locally and internationally. Download the Melanin People mobile app now, connecting people of color. All right, and we are back. You have tuned in to He Say What? With the girls Simply Bree and our guest, the one and only Jeffrey. And tonight we are talking about coping with PTSD and depression. Um, if you would like to um, call in with questions or comments, the phone number 515 Six zero two nine six four seven, and you're going to press number one, and we will bring you up to see what you got to say. Now, before we get back to the conversation, that song that you guys just heard was "Blood Ain't Thicker Than Water," and that was by Davis Chris, Mr. Foster, also featuring Will with an exclamation, and Deborah Barrio. That song. When I first heard that song, I was like, oh, my God. Like, that's probably the life of a lot of little girls, you know, when it comes to childhood trauma. So as I was stating before we went on our break, depression 
and PDSC, uh, PTSD, how, how are the two of them related? Um, how are they related? How, how do they coincide with one another? All right, great question. Now, sometimes a traumatic event can trigger a form of depression. And so there's the relation right there. Um, so that, that's the relationship between the two. The main thing, though, mm-hmm. is to remember that there are multiple types of depression. People just think depression is just one big old overarching condition. And mm-hmm. it's more like a category, if you will. Um, you'll find um, clinical depression, the most severe mm-hmm. form. I won't say severe. It's the one that you're going to really, really have to work with someone on a professional level. There could be medications prescribed, things of that nature. So mm-hmm. clinical uh, depression is, is a really, really big area. I'm sorry, I had to run downstairs and open the door real quick. <laughs> Bipolarism. <laughs> mm. Bipolar is also a form of depression. But the thing mm. is, you know, you got the dramatic swing from someone who's down in the dumps one day and then somebody who's on this really, really extreme high the next mm-hmm. day. You never know because the mood swings are so deep. Now, yeah. for women... Postpartum, mm. that is a form of depression as well. Mm-hmm. And I, um, unfortunately, I know of some women who did not have postpartum de- uh, depression properly diagnosed in the hospital who mm-hmm. ended up dying in the hospital. Wow. And so there, there, there's a wide range, a wide spectrum, if you will, to right. depression, and it can be triggered by a traumatic event. Right. Yeah. So, and it, yeah, we refer to the postpartum also as baby blues. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, it tends to it tends to speak out even more when you have women who go through the entire pregnancy and lose a child. Um, you know, it's like, you don't really know what to say to someone when they're going through that. And and that's a good point, too. As a person being on the outside, looking in, like, what do you say? Not even to just the loss of a child, but just death, period. What do you say? Because I know me personally, I never know what to say. It's just like, um, yeah, my condolences. But you want to be sincere. So, how does someone put themselves in that person's shoes, in a sense, and genuinely provide their empathy? Well, the, the main thing is when you think about asking a question like, um, what can I do to help, just mm-hmm. flip it from a question to an action and do something mm-hmm. to help. Do something like, okay, you know that they're dealing with the loss without intruding. Do something like show up with, um, with food. Show up yeah. with a, a, a book. Show up mm-hmm. and say, hey, I'm here. 
here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to clean up your kitchen for you. I'm going to do this, that, and the other. Actually do something, not something mm-hmm. intrusive. Um, now, with, with someone who's lost a child or lost anybody, not just a child, the part right. you have to be careful of is to not keep that or keep doing things that remind them of their pain. Do mm-hmm. things to help them cope and get through the pain. And so instead of asking, what can I do, do something. Um, if right. you have a, a neighbor, as an example, a friend of mine posted this today. Um, she lost a, a friend of hers. He passed away due to COVID not long ago. Mm-hmm. And he made friends with his neighbor. He was a young man in his early 30s, and she was an older woman, you know, in her late 60s and 70s. And yeah. they would have these conversations, and he would give her tips and things like that. They died within a week of each other. Wow. And so when, his, when, when my friend was going to tell her that he passed away, she found out that she died a week before he did. And so you have these two neighbors that have become, you know, mm-hmm. really good neighbors in the old school sense of neighbors, people that you know your neighbors, you talk to your neighbors, you interact right. with your neighbors type of thing. And um, that act of service of going over to say, hey, you might not have seen him, this is what happened, that was an act of service right there. So instead of just saying, right. what can I do, the first thing is to do something. Uh, right. The second thing is to give the right type of space for that person to come to you. Mm-hmm. Saying things like, hey, I'm I'm here if you need me, that's great. Being there when they need you, though, even more important. A lot of people will say, you know, if you ever need anything, just reach out to me, and they'll say that as a platitude, but they really don't want you to call them. They say it because yeah. it's the polite thing to do. When you let someone know that you're there for them, let give them a reminder. Hey, just let you know I'm here for you. Um, right. Hey, I'm going to come by and I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. You know, doing those types of things, not becoming overbearing about it, but actually instead of asking what can you do, doing things is one of the keys to really helping people cope with uh, the loss um, of, of anyone. And right. even with people that are suffering through depression, just being present mm-hmm. helps. Right. Gotcha. Now, how can, well, before I even go into the question, let me round of applause for that because that was a tough one. That was definitely a tough one. I always wondered how do you properly show someone that you care and that you're there and that you're sorry without sounding like a a recorder. So, um, oh, man, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, no. How do you okay? So how how would someone be able to recognize themselves that they're actually going through depression? Um, like how how would they know? Great question. Now I, I want to really really preface this. We are really really good at fooling ourselves of saying, oh, you know, man, just just pull through. Or, or girl, just mm-hmm. get over it. So from the from the outside, a person who's depressed is usually faking it on the outside. Mm-hmm. So they could be highly skilled and highly functional at work, 
but not necessarily functional behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. So really um, one, one thing that you can do um, for yourself is mm-hmm. you have to seek something outside yourself and just see. You know, there, there are a lot of online things that you can go to that um, can really help you self-diagnose. So one thing, and I just pulled this up really quickly because I wanted to make sure that this, uh, that I was recalling the information the correct way, lack of self-confidence. Do you have a voice in your head that's constantly talking you down, constantly saying, you know, ah, you're not, you can't do that, or, you know, you're, you're no good at that, or, you know, you, you really deserve that. You deserve to be treated that mm-hmm. way. Thoughts like that could mean that you suffer from some form of depression. Do you Mm -hmm. get triggered really, really, really deeply in an argument with somebody? Now, I don't mean like, you know, you're arguing with with, uh, your your significant other and they say something that's below the belt. That Mm -hmm. that would hurt anybody's feelings. I'm saying it's just a run-of-the-mill disagreement about what we're eating for dinner. And then that trauma or that depression, now it has an outlet to come out. It's like a pin prick that explodes. Mm -hmm. And so that could also be another sign that you may be suffering from some type of depression, Uh, lack of, you know, good sleep, high Mm -hmm. anxiety, overactive thoughts, of um, doom, things not working out, all of those things could be signs of a form of depression. Mm-hmm. So self-analysis, you know, we, we lie to ourselves better than we lie to anybody else. Self-analysis, mm-hmm. though, when we're really genuine and really honest with, uh, with where we are and who we are, it can really, really make a big, big difference. Right. Yeah. I agree with you. Um, no one knows you better than you know yourself. And like you said, you know, people are good at of hiding. Um, it's almost like you're living in a perfect world and you are expected to be perfect, but nobody's perfect. But you're trying your best to be perfect. So it's almost like adding that extra, press, that extra pressure onto yourself um, and then just, you know, bursting and then, I mean, just a lot of people I feel suffer through depression, including during this pandemic. The pandemic itself contributed a lot because we had to change our lifestyles. You know, now we have to distance ourselves from loved ones and, you know, you're just self-conscious about a lot of things. So you personally, how how did you cope with making that change in your lifestyle? Um, when COVID first happened? Well, you know, the the main thing, fortunately for me, when COVID hit, I had already done a lot of work on building myself up. And so Mm -hmm. I found myself still getting outside, going for walks. I was living in an Mm -hmm. apartment complex at that time. I would still go outside for walks. Um, I have hobbies. You know, I did a lot of painting and things like that, uh, a lot of introspective things. And I was still doing a lot of work. I was doing, um, I was working from home, and I still mm-hmm. had a pretty 
busy day. Uh, and so yeah. I, I was fortunate in that I did not um, buy into the trauma because I'd already gotten to a point where I dealt with my trauma. And so if I ever mm-hmm. had a thought, I knew how to cope with it. Um, fortunately, though, I, I've done a lot of work, and it was hard work on on addressing things and coming to an understanding that anything that's happened to me, I have an opportunity to see it in a way that victimizes me or a way that gives me another victory. And so right. I, when I got to that point, when COVID came around, I was able to maneuver through it and um, you know, be really, really healthy. Right. Okay. Um, depression, how could depression uh, affect relationships? And, and not just romantic relationships, but friendships um, and even, you know, relationships at your workplace. Um, how does depression play a role uh, with those types of situations? Well, you know, one, one characteristic of possible depression is recklessness. And mm. so your behavior on the job could be even more uh, reckless. You're, you, you challenge authority. Mm-hmm. Um, you no longer perform at a high level. You do things to self-sabotage because mm-hmm. deep down you may not feel like you deserve what you're getting and you're looking for something to validate your feelings. So that, that, that recklessness, could also be leading into things uh, like we talked about earlier, feelings of worthlessness or not having self-confidence. And that can spill, mm-hmm. spill over into your relationships because now you're worried that your your mate, your partner, your husband, or your lover, they're looking for someone else because deep down you don't think you're good enough for them. That right. causes you to become insecure and um, hypervigilant to make sure they're not doing anything. That leads to more stress mm-hmm. because your your husband could just be saying hey to the neighbor, but in your mind, mm-hmm. you're thinking they're sleeping together. That's causing you stress. Right. You're making yourself sicker. Your wife could just be speaking to a coworker that helped her on a project, but you see her work husband. Now you've got to come up to the job every day. Check this dude yeah. out. Just like this uh, right. show on Netflix, Joe. Uh, Joe, you got to be Joe. And go and um, <laughs> handle all this other stuff. So, um, in your relationships, depression can definitely have a negative effect if it goes unchecked. Now, now, please understand, everybody has ups and everybody has downs. Everybody gets happy mm-hmm. and sad. It's a matter of what you do that will let you know whether or not you could be dealing with depression. If you get sad right. and you stay sad for days, weeks, and months, that is a clear sign that you should be seeking professional help. And it's not a bad thing. Professional help means that you're going to a qualified individual, not that you're crazy. Mm -hmm. It means that you're going to a professional or a qualified individual. Everybody else has a license. Your barber has a license. They're a professional. Mm -hmm. Your hairstylist has a license. They're professional. So your mental health specialist, they too, should also have a license and be a professional. Right. 
Why do you think people fear going to therapists and counselors at this point? You know, that's that's something that's taught behavior. Um, passed down in our communities that, you know, we keep everything in the house. You might have had someone in the in your family mm. back in the day that was mentally challenged and they always mm-hmm. were in the back room. They never came outside. They never got any help. Mm-hmm. And that's just something that was just uh, really drilled in in our communities. But now right. what's happening, thankfully, uh, more and more people in our communities are seeking mental health. Corporations are making mm-hmm. more allowances for mental health treatment. And so right. it's, it's much, much better than it was. There is still quite a ways to go, but uh, I, I'm hopeful that everyone will continue to pay as much attention to their mental health as they do their physical health, and also they pay attention to their spiritual health. Right. Okay. Final question, and then we will wrap it up. What's one piece of advice that you wish you could go back and tell the 14-year-old you? Mm. 14-year-old me. Um, I I would say everything's going to be all right. Everything happens in its due time. Everything that you're Mm -hmm. going through, it all is for the good. Um, Mm -hmm. That's really it. Because when when I look back at 14-year-old me, you know, I wasn't very confident. And it's just the teenage thing. You know, a lot of teenagers are struggling with identity. You're still finding your own way, trying to fit in. You might be a little quirky, this, that, and the other. You know, all, all that stuff happens, and it's necessary because when you come through it on the other side as a better person, you know mm-hmm. why you had to go through those struggles. Um, so I wouldn't change anything because those, those formative years prepared me to be able to say, you know what, I'm not going to live like this anymore. I'm not going to think like this anymore. I'm not going to be held back by this anymore. I'm going to tackle it, and I'm going to be better. And it paid off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Awesome. Listen, Mr. Jeffrey Miller, get a little, get on a little applause tonight. Please, please, please let the great people know how can they support what you have going on, where can they find you? And if they want to actually book you as their therapist um, or, you know, just talk with you a little bit more, how can they do so? All right. You can find me on social media as Talk with Jeffrey, J-E-F-F-E-R-Y, Talk with Jeffrey, all over social media except for Snapchat. I'm not snapping. I'm not chatting. I think I'm too old for that. And... um <laughs> They can, <laughs> they can always send me an email to talk with Jeffrey, J-E-F-F-E-R-Y, at gmail.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. He said, I'm not snapping. I'm not chatting. Okay. Well, we leave it to the young ones to do that because I'm not into that either. Um, but thank you thank so you. very much for joining us this evening. Um Everyone who's listening, I really hope that tonight's interview helps you. I hope that it answered some questions for you. It definitely answered some questions for myself and also just helped 
um, look at life differently. Look at life in a positive light and understand that you are not the only one that's going through whatever it is that you're going through. There's many, many other people that going through the exact same thing. Some people just choose not to talk about it. So hopefully this episode allows you to confront whatever fears you have and seek help. And and know that you have a storm of people behind you that's going to support you a thousand percent. If you are interested in being a guest on any of these shows on the network, please send your email to info at he said what network dot com. Make sure that you guys tune in with us every Monday for Simply Sports with myself, Simply Bree, One Mike and R G, and then of course our. Let me see if I can say it this right. Say it right. Our non-sports watching course. Wait, our non-sports watching reoccurring correspondent himself, Mr. Ezel Moon. And um, but yeah, join us every Monday, Sunday, 8 p.m. on YouTube. Uh, go to YouTube and look for He Said What Network, and you'll find us. Tuesdays, of course, we have He Said What. With the girls, simply Bree and my specially invited guest. Wednesdays we have she said what with your host Alan Newman Jr. and his specially invited guest. And then Sundays we have let's connect with P's intuition. P is currently on vacation right now, so we are running all of her her replays. And uh, you know, feel free to reach out to P uh, at P's intuition on Instagram. You can find me. Simply Bree at underscore Simply Bree, and that's S I M P L E E B R E E. And also follow the network. He said, What network? As I stated before the show started, at 9.05, we are going to go live for the after after show, where tonight myself and my co host Betty will be talking about dating during. COVID. And I feel like there's a lot of depression and PTSD involved in that because dating itself is just, it can be stressful and it can be what you make it. So that's all that I have for you great people. Once again, follow us, support us. If you have a business and you're trying to get a commercial produced and played on the network, hit us up, info at he said what network dot com and we will get back to you. Um, as I stated earlier as well, all of our shows will be heading towards YouTube, so you want to make sure that you are subscribing and following us so that you can actually see everyone behind the scenes. Great people. I will uh catch you on the flip side. You all stay nice to each other and um have a good evening. Bye. Thank you for supporting the He Said What Radio Network. Please be sure to check out the website where you can find more of our shows on sports coverage, music showcases, and entertainment. Are you interested in giveaways? Sign up today to receive special members-only giveaways by visiting www.hesaidwhatnetwork.com now.